Good morning. Oh, there it is. There it is. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, this is kind of funny being here with you guys at Impact Church. It's kind of I'm having an inception moment. I will explain. Um, who was here last July when I came and guest preached? Really? Oh, just like my whole family's like. Not you guys. I'm just kidding. You count too. Um, okay, well, <laughs> this will only be relevant to like the six people over here. But I came here and I guess preached for Pastor Eric. He was out of, he and his family were out of town. And uh, I preached with you, for you guys. And it was kind of funny because I was coming um, from City on a Hill Community Church, which is a church that partnered with Helping Plant Impact Church. So City on a Hill was a church plant that helped plant your church plant. And now I'm here planting a church talking to your church plant that was planted by a church where I worked, Church of the Cities, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, that was just blowing my mind during musical worship. But um, anyways, inception moment. But I'm really excited, as Pastor Eric said, um, my family and I are planting a new congregation in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's a, it's a little bit different than the story, right? Every church plant is different just because God is working in all times and all places, and that story is going to look a little bit different from place to place and time to time. So a few little details I'll share with you really quickly about Hope Rising is the first thing is we have a sister congregation. They are a primarily Spanish-speaking congregation. They are part of our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, and their name is La Iglesia del Nazareno Jesus Te Amo. I don't speak Spanish, so that was the best I could do. And I'm sorry to all the Spanish speakers who were like, ooh, ooh, yeah. But they are a wonderful congregation. God is really blessing their ministry in Annapolis, and they've been there for the past 20 years. And they themselves have sent out six church plants, I wanna say, over those 20 years. So basically, every time I see one of them, I just kind of stand really close, and I'm like, let me absorb. Whatever is going on with you guys. So they are wonderful. We will be sharing space and ministry with them. The second thing is that a Hope Rising Community Church is a dinner church. Does that mean anything to anyone here? Okay, so you may have no idea what I'm talking about. It's actually not new. It's not new. There's a lot of churches who are doing it. Um, and the earliest church, the church that you read about in Acts, this is pretty much how they did it. They gathered in homes and they worshiped around a meal. So that's what we're doing at Hope Rising Community Church. Um, our services right now, which I will explain, she's like, I thought you said you were launching on Easter. We are gathering and we gather every other Sunday right now at 5 p.m around dinner. Um, so we've kind of soft launched in that we've been meeting every other week, um, basically since October. We just moved to every other week. And this was just a way for us to get to know our community and introduce ourselves to them. But we are launching publicly on Easter Sunday. So that's an overview. We would really appreciate your prayers. We continue to pray and discern what God is doing in Annapolis, just as you are doing week to week, discerning what God is doing right here in your town and in your community. Whew. I haven't had to do that before. There we go. So um, I want to know, I'm going to kick off today. I want to know if you've heard of something called, are you ready? The Society of the Descendants of the Signers of the Declaration of Independence. I'll say it again. The Society of the Descendants of the Signers of the Declaration of Independence. I had never heard of this until earlier this week, but it's true. They exist. Is anyone in it? Okay, good. Just want to clear that one. Right? Here's what they say on their website about themselves, this society. They say the 56 signers of the Declaration were inspired by as high a patriotic purpose as humanity has ever known. 
It is therefore extremely fitting that the direct lineal descendants of the men who inscribed their names upon the first page of the history of the United States of America should form an association devoted to the promotion of the ideas expressed in the Declaration. That's a mouthful. So gaining admission to this society, I don't even know if you're thinking about this, like how does one go about joining this society? It's actually not as straightforward as you might think. For example, um, you can be, there are three things, three ways that they describe it. You can be related to one of the signers, you can be a collateral descendant, or you can just be a descendant. That all sounds the same to me. Anyone else? I'm like, oh, it's not a difference. I don't know. But to them, there are three different things. You must be directly descended from one of this, from, from one of them, and I love this. Here's the kicker. You can't use DNA evidence. You can't use DNA evidence. You have to provide other forms of documentation, whatever that may be, to prove your direct link here in 2020 to one of them back in 1776. It's kind of wild, right? It's very intense. So two years ago, CBS News interviewed a group of these descendants um, who reenacted a famous portrait that many of us might have seen. There it is, right there. I won't move, I'll block somebody. Uh, right there in the top left is by an artist named John Trumbull. And so these, some of the descendants reenacted it right here. I will move. So just look at that for a minute and just kind of compare. So they reenacted the, this portrait that many of us have seen before. And right, some of the differences are immediately obvious, right? The 2017 photograph, photograph that we see here represents a progression of the equality and diversity put forth in the Declaration of Independence that their forefathers signed over 200 years ago. So there are probably countless descendants who are unaware of this society, right? Because like no one except for that one person right there, good for you, knew that this existed. And I don't know, maybe some of you, so I'm like, I'm a person where I heard about this and I was like, what? I wanna know if I'm de descended from one of them. Like, get it all out, get all the papers out, Ben. We're gonna find out, that's my husband, by the way. This Ben right here, apparently there's another Ben somewhere upstairs, there we go, right? Some of you might be like, ah. I don't really care. So I don't know, maybe you would be more inspired if you found out that you were directly related to like your favorite musician, your favorite actor, maybe your favorite author. My husband confessed to me on the way here that if he found out he was first cousins with Tom Hanks, that would be pretty cool. Anyone, anyone coming to mind? Maybe, I don't know. But for the members of this society, they hold close the values that motivated their ancestors, knowing they're directly related to them, matters. It shapes the ideals that drive them today and the kind of men and women that they aspire to be all these years later in the community that they seek to cooperate in contributing to and creating. So their legacy matters for the people they are today. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're sitting in this room and you're here because you're like, I follow Jesus, I am a Christian, then you are a direct spiritual descendant of his over 2,000 years after his life and ministry. Have you ever thought about it that way? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you are a direct spiritual descendant of his over 2,000 years after his life and his ministry on earth. 
So as I prepared this sermon this past week, I heard this idea from another pastor. His name is Phil Wiseman. And this is what he said. He said, the gospel is good news. Amen? The gospel is good news, not good advice. Not good advice. And I feel like how we embrace our identities as spiritual descendants of Jesus how we embrace our identities as sisters and brothers in the family of God speaks to whether we believe deep down inside that the gospel is good news and not just good advice, right? Does the gospel shape our lives or is what we find here a nice set of stories that we can just kind of apply however we want to? Take it or leave it. The story we're going to explore today in Matthew chapter 4 is going to help us, right? We're going to explore this together, okay? We're going to chew on it together. And the story that we're going to explore today will help us get to the heart of this. So if you do call yourself a Christian or you're familiar with the Bible, then the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert is probably one that you've read or heard at least a few times, right? Jesus' temptation in the desert. But what you may not have ever considered is that this story speaks to legacy, Right? We're thinking and talking about legacy. It speaks to the legacy that Jesus assumed as a Jewish man and the legacy that he rolled out as he announced that the kingdom of heaven had come near. Finally. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, now's the time. Go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 4. And then, of course, it'll be up on the screen as well for you. But we're going to start in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So the passage starts out, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So we start off and things are just rolling already, right? We're just kind of like jumping in into the middle of action. If you are not familiar with the story or you just need a refresher, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Okay, he's about 30 years old. He lived most of his life in Nazareth. You know that city that everyone's like, ugh, Nazareth. And the Gospels tell us that he was a carpenter like his earthly father, Joseph. And Jesus leaves all of this behind because the time had come. It was time. That rescue mission that starts rolling out all the way back at the beginning of our Bibles, it's time. The climactic moment has come, right? The time has come for him to start announcing that that kingdom of heaven had come near through him, the Son of God. And right before this chapter, in chapter 3, we can read about how Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John, in the Jordan River. Right? Just like last week, right? Who here was baptized last week? Yes. Awesome. I thought there'd be more of you in the room. That is awesome, right? Just like you were baptized last week, Jesus was also baptized. Not because he had any sin, because he didn't. But to pave the way for those of you to join the family of God and declare your faith and participate in the grace of baptism 2,000 years later. And you might remember when Jesus came up out of the water, just like you came up out of the water, but when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends on him, and you, the voice of God was heard saying, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is what God pronounces over Jesus as he's lifted up out of the water. Then, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Now, I feel like this story in the Gospels is one that we can read and we can kind of be detached from it, right? When we read about Jesus, like, standing on the shore of Galilee, talking to fishermen, or we read about Jesus having dinner with someone, right? We can picture ourselves pretty easily doing that, right? We all eat dinner. Most of us like to go to the beach, right? This story, though, can be kind of like a weird little interlude in the Gospels. I said in the family service, you kind of start hearing the Wild West Main Street showdown music. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> Pastor X, like, do it. <laughs> Right? That's what we kind of hear a little bit, maybe, some of us, when we read this story. It can be hard to feel like this is relatable to us today. But when we link it to legacy, when we link this story to legacy, we find a foothold for what it might mean for us in 2020. So when Matthew says the wilderness, he's talking about the desert. okay? And the imagery of the desert and the significance of the number 40 Okay, the significance of the number 40 would not have been lost on the Jewish Christians who would have read or heard this letter when it was written a couple decades after Jesus went back to the Father. So while they were reading this or they were hearing it, they would have heard that and went, what? He went out to the desert and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's what you said? That would have immediately popped out to them. And here's why. Those details are not random. This is not a random kind of weird story. Something significant happened here in the desert, something ordained by God. We read that Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led out there into the desert to be tempted by the devil. There was a purpose behind it, and it connects back to the legacy carried by Jesus as a Jewish man. It wasn't random. So hundreds of years before this, right, this is a story probably all of you are familiar with. The people of Israel have been led out of Egypt, and they were enslaved there for a long time. Most of us have heard the story, right? Moses goes to the Pharaoh, and what does he say? Oh, thank you. They responded, Ben, we weren't sure. Thank you. Let my people go. But as God guided the people through Moses toward the promised land, they struggled to remain faithful to him. It blows the mind, right? Everything the people had seen and witnessed. He parted a sea for them. A sea for them. They struggled to remain faithful to him. They whined. They complained. They were fearful. They even started worshiping other things. You're just like, why, Israel? Why? But they did. And so God let them wander in the desert for 40 years. He said, you know what? The next generation can enter the promised land. Right? It can be easy for us to look back at the Israelites and judge them, right? How hard is it to follow a God who showed himself to you the way that he did? Right? No, none of us would have a problem with this, right? Long, awkward silence. <laughs> Yet the Israelites represented a nation's difficulties doing what humanity has had problems with all the way back to the first man and woman. Right? Their struggles were the struggles all the way from the beginning. When faced with the decision to honor God and his commands, Adam and Eve chose, they chose self-rule. They chose self-rule and to do what they wanted. 
And this is the struggle, right? This is the struggle for us right here and right now, right? Every single person in this room, from the youngest up to the oldest person who is here today worshiping, struggles with this. We're faced with the temptation to rule our own lives rather than following Jesus with our whole hearts. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or you've been following Jesus and you don't remember a time when you haven't, this is the struggle. This is the temptation, right? Some of us are wrestling with major things right now. Things that we don't want to submit to God for all sorts of reasons. I'm up here preaching the word of God to you and I was standing there worshiping through music and I was thinking, what am I wrestling with right now? We're all wrestling with things that we don't want to submit to him. So Israel wandering in the desert, refusing to turn, are all of us in some way in different seasons of our lives. So imagine then, Jesus, God's son, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased, immediately leaving after his baptism to go into the desert. It's not random. Jesus isn't just kicking off his ministry with this. He's heading back to the original battleground where human beings have repeatedly fallen since the dawn of creation to the devil's temptation to self-rule. This, this is his mode of operation. The very first thing he's going to go address is humanity's inclination to fall to temptation over and over and over again. Picking up in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So we read back in verse 2 that Jesus was hungry, right? Pastor Eric mentioned this, fasting. He was completely fasting. And an interesting thing about fasting, right? Pastor Eric was talking about sometimes we're like, Oh, fasting. Right? And we often think about fasting in terms of subtraction, subtracting social media, right? We think about something that we're suddenly like empty of. Now we don't have that anymore. I'm not doing that right now. I'm fasting. But the interesting thing about it is Jesus, this, right? This isn't the only time in uh, the Gospels when Jesus withdraws, right? I want to challenge you when you think about fasting to not think about something that you're taking away, but something that you're stepping into, something that you're gaining, by withdrawing, Jesus was stepping more fully into being with God. So he's out in the desert, 40 days, 40 nights. He's fully with God. This is an interesting moment in the Gospels. It's just Jesus and the devil. There isn't cities, towns, people all around nearby. 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water. He's not just hungry. Think about this. 40 days and 40 nights with nothing and you're out in the desert. He's not just hungry, he's weak. His stomach is probably turning inside out with hunger pains. He's exhausted, okay? And the devil comes to him at the end of this period when he's at his weakest. It does something to my heart 
that God willed for Jesus to experience this. He wanted Jesus to experience. This is something that Trinity decided needed to happen. Why? Just a few months ago, we celebrated Christmas, right? Yay, Christmas. Everyone loves Christmas, right? The miracle of what the church calls the incarnation, right? God taking on flesh and arriving to earth just like everyone here does. Cute little baby, oh so cute, right? Christmas. But these 40 days and 40 nights are not cute. They are the raw reality of incarnation. In the first few verses of the Gospel of John, just a few books later, the very first verses we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word is Jesus. Jesus was there. Let's just like, let's really think about this. The word was with God. So Jesus was there when the first sunset burst onto the horizon. He was there when the oceans first filled with water. I just want you to like imagine if you can in your mind, just imagine the sound of the oceans filling with water, right? He was there when the first human being's lungs gasped open with their very first breath. He was there. And yet, that same Jesus willingly went out to go toe-to-toe with the devil and endure 40 days without any sort of physical nourishment in the same kind of body you and I inhabit. It hurts, just like it would hurt for us. And the devil doesn't mess around with this. He can probably, he can't. He can see the toll that is taken on Jesus. And he goes right for it in verse 3, right? The tempter came to him and said, well, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Can you imagine just Jesus in this weak moment knowing, I could, I could. I could just blink and the stones would be bread right in front of me. And notice that the, the devil says, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, I believe that the devil often tempts us to sin against God and rule our own lives by messing with who we think we are. We get tripped up in this idea that we can play God, that we know what's best. I heard someone say to me one time, I'll deal with God when I'm dead. Okay. Our thoughts and our actions say that we think we're God. The devil is called in this verse the tempter. It's just one of many names used for him, the tempter. Now remember, right before this, God had called Jesus his son. He had said that he loved him. He was pleased with him. Jesus hadn't done anything been living back in Nazareth. And, Jesus, and God says, I'm pleased with you. Just you. And the tempter says, if you are the son of God, well, do this. Just as he'd done with human beings since the very beginning, the devil tried to twist what being a child of God actually means. And we can relate to this, right? We can relate to this. You just moved through Romans as a church. You might have reflected on on chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul says, There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for children of God. Yet so many of us still live like we are condemned. 
Think about that for a second. So many of us live like we are still condemned. We don't live like free people. We're still shackled to past guilt, to past shame, to past habits. That's a fundamental distortion of who we are. Let me give you an example. If you were in prison and the cell door just, well, I was gonna say swung open, but I guess it might've just, you know, day and age technology, just slide over. Imagine that you are in prison and the cell door just kind of slides open and the guard comes over and says, hey, your sentence has been taken care of uh, and you're no longer a prisoner. And um, your, your record has been completely wiped clean. It's like it never existed before. It would be kind of bizarre after that moment if you opted to just hang out in the cell for a while, right? Who does that? Right? It would be kind of strange if you walked out and maybe spent a few weeks out in the real world and you're like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go back. Right? Who would do that? But we can live like that as we forget that we're sons and daughters of God and what that means, what it means to be truly free. So Jesus had returned to ground zero where his Jewish ancestors had fallen to temptation and he used the very same responses given to Moses back then. The very same responses, the very same words. So when the tempter tries to persuade him to turn stones to bread, Jesus says in verse 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? The devil then takes Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, and he sets him on the highest point of the temple there, right? We can maybe imagine Jesus just swaying a little bit, right? He's weak, swaying a little bit. Maybe there's wind blowing around him. The city's just spread out around them. And the devil quotes from Psalm 91 here that tradition believes, guess who wrote it? Moses. Okay? And the devil quotes this back to Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, here it is, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He quotes this back to Jesus. If you are the son of God, and how often do we grapple with what being our son or what being a son or daughter of God really means? If God really wants us, if God has really chosen us, oftentimes, honestly, honestly, I think that we talk more about our Christian faith like something that we chose. And I'm not saying that you didn't choose something. There is a cooperative action happening here. God extends his hand and we have to choose to reach back. But I think that we forget sometimes about that divine hand that's been reaching out for all of human history. And all we think about is me, 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 I'm reaching out. And we struggle to really believe God chose me. God wants me. God has accepted me no matter what I brought to the table. Just like Jesus shows up, just Jesus to be baptized. And God says, I am pleased with you. I love you. We struggle to believe you don't need to bring anything. God just wants and loves you. Just you. We aren't told what Jesus is thinking here as he's standing up here on the highest point um, on the temple. But here's what we do know, okay? Here's what we do know. Jesus could have thrown himself down. Could have done it, right? 
And you better believe that angels could have just come on down and saved him, right? That could have happened. The word was with God in the beginning. Absolutely that could have happened. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and made anything he wanted happen, to happen, happen. But he didn't. Jesus is God. So this is our God atop the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, stomach twisting in knots from hunger, mouth insanely dry, unshaken, unshaken, where person after person had fallen to the devil, screaming in their hearts and minds, if you are a child of God, Jesus does not fall. He does not fail. Where we are weak, the Son of God is strong. He's strong. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I wonder if these words echoed within Jesus as he said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I wonder if Jesus did not need, did not want to test God because he had no doubt of the Father's love for him. No doubt that God was in control. And no doubt that the Father was with him. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil has one last card up his sleeve. And instead of focusing on Jesus' identity here, he pulls the focus onto himself. He offers Jesus everything in the world and dangles it in front of him in exchange for one thing, for the son to worship him instead of the father. Now, none of us will have the kingdoms of the world and their splendor offered to us on a virtual platter, but we are faced every single day with the option to give in and worship all sorts of things that promise us what only God can give. Okay, these are the devil's objectives, right? Wreck our sense of who we are and tilt our concentration, our focus, our hearts, and our worship towards something, anything or anyone other than God, other than the Father who loves us and is pleased with us, period. He'll turn us toward things and people that dangle enjoyment, pleasure, importance, Fame, security, love, and acceptance. When God is the source of all those things. And it's only through God that we receive and experience those things without them eating us up from the inside out. If you are struggling to worship God instead of those things and those people today, Hear Jesus' voice from the mountaintop here in the Gospel of Matthew today. Okay, hear it. Hear his voice loud and clear, reclaiming the words of the people of Israel one more time. 
away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus broke through all that the devil had twisted, distorted, and broken over millennia when he arrived into the arms of his parents on Christmas. He broke through all of that. And out in the desert, he began reclaiming that ground. One step at a time, each one with complete confidence of who he is. Each one in complete worship of the one true God. So where humanity had failed, Christ was strong and unmoved. And where humanity struggles still, Jesus' steps out in the desert eventually led to a cross on Golgotha, where he decisively defeated the tempter once and for all. Jesus redeemed in part the legacy of Israel during his temptation in the desert. And now we, we carry his legacy. We carry his legacy. We, the descendants of the word that was with God in the beginning, the word that to this day can appear before us in a body as real as the ones that we walk around in. We, the descendants of the word, the, the son of God who understands the temptation to turn away, God gets it. This story, out of all the stories, Jesus gets it. He gets the thing that is just eating you up inside to say no to. He understands. We are his descendants. He understands the temptation to turn away. But through his death and his resurrection, he tells us, I have paid the price for you, and I've empowered you to walk out of the cell and never, ever, ever go back. You don't need to. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Brothers and sisters of Impact Church, the tempter is still trying to deceive human beings to misunderstand or reject or abuse their identities as children of God. The tempter is still trying to convince us that our worship belongs with other things and other people other than the Lord our God. That's still his objective today. If you sense a tension within you that you are up against those things right now, this is the perfect time not to flee from it. Pressing into the season of Lent every year, right? The church around the world, you're not doing this alone. This is a time of reflection. Don't run away from that tension. Sit with it because you're not doing it alone. The gospel is good news not good advice. And the good news is that you can resist the urge to ignore it or dismiss it, and instead, you can turn, and you can look at those things honestly in your heart, in your life, and you can know, because of this story right here, that they cannot stand up to God's truth. Whatever you think you cannot let go of right now, it cannot stand up to God's truth. Don't believe that lie. 
Today is the day. Look the devil in the eye and declare what is real. Turn from what tempts you. Shout however you need to, but not on social media. Shout however you need to that you are a child of God and he loves you, period. And be comforted that you are strengthened and fed by God for every battle that you will encounter in this life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and your word is good. I thank you for the ways that you speak to us through your word, for the way that you've spoken to us this morning, through this story in Matthew 4 about Jesus, our Messiah and our Savior, fully God, but also fully man. When we are tempted, we can run to you and know that you get it. It was important to you to get it. It was important to you to go all the way back to ground zero and reclaim that territory, reclaim that land, redeem what is broken, every single step leading to the cross. And we thank you, God, that we live in the afterward from that moment, that you have decisively won once and for all that our debt is paid and that we don't ever, 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 ever have to go back. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Impact Church. I thank you for the way that you are using Pastor Eric and the leadership here, God. I thank you for what you are doing in this place. And I pray for them now as they press into the season of Lent. I pray that as we finish our time of worship this morning, as we worship through one last song, God, that whatever you brought to our hearts and minds, that you would give us courage to not turn away. You would speak to us and show us what we need to do, God, and that we would be confident in who we are, your sons and daughters that are loved by you, period. We love you. We thank you for your example. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your company now, forever and always. It's in the name of Jesus we pray all this. Amen. We want you guys to please stand with us as we sing one last song here together.